as Pastor Ben said last week, we commenced a, a new series on grace and truth. And this morning I'd like to contribute a bit to that with a few thoughts. So before we do that, let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to come and, and get around your word and to hear what you've got to say and to, to learn from your word and to put that stuff into action. And Lord, I just pray this morning as we, as we have a short time of just discussing your word that, Lord, that you would be able to bless people with that and that they'd be able to take away something that they never had when they came. In Jesus' name, amen. So who can remember their childhood? Was everybody here a child? One was a child. Everybody else was born as they are. Who remembers their childhood? Some of it, yes. Um, who can remember their parents and their grandparents and how they behaved, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but who can remember parents and grandparents and other significant adults getting down on the floor and playing with you? Who can remember doing that for their own kids and grandkids? We get down on the floor and we play with them. Sorry? Can't do it now. No, I identify with that. But we have done it at some point. I was watching Sammy this morning supervising um, Max and I was moving some chairs out of that room over there and Max was wandering around totally oblivious to what I was doing and Sammy grabbed him and pulled him out of the way to protect him. He was looking after him. He was nurturing him. He was meeting Max where Max was. Does God do that with us? What about when kids are sick? What do we do? We, we take them to the hospital or we take them in the bathroom and clean them up. What about if you have kids or grandkids come and stay with you and they don't want to go to bed? How do you get them into bed? You probably get in there with them until they go to sleep and then you sneak out. Anyone done that? Yeah. Who has pets? Everybody's got pets. People have got dogs. People have got cats. We've got this bird, and we call him Squirt because he's a lorikeet, and that's what they do. But when we come home, he's sitting in his cage, and he's beside himself. He's going up and down the perch. Oh, 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 they're home. They're home. I'm glad to see them. Dogs do that too, don't they? Yeah. Do cats? No. Yeah, sometimes, maybe. But the point of the matter is that they're pleased to see us. They want our attention. They actually want to be with us. When we get squirt out of the cage, he's all over us like a rash. And he wants to chew at the collar and he gets under Monica's hair and he preens her. <laughs> because he wants to be with us. And we let him do that. Why? Because we get down to his level. We stoop down to where kids are so they can identify with us. We enter their world. We let ourselves become a part of their surroundings. When we gain the trust of our pets, we can get our pets to do what we want them to do. Um, kids and pets are happy to see us when we come home. They want to spend time with us and they crave our attention and they accept our direction. Why? Because they trust us. Now we have a heavenly father who came down here 
to earth so that we could identify with him. He got down on the floor with us, as it were. He got down in the dirt and he got down there with us because he entered our world. Last week, Pastor Ben took us through the story of the woman caught in adultery. Let's see if I can get this to work. Oh, it's up there. Oh, good. Early the next morning, it's from John 8, 25. Early the next morning, Jesus was back at the, again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman they had caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now let's just imagine a scenario here. Let's just imagine for a minute. The priests had forced open the door. They had gone in and they'd entered the house. They drew back the window curtains. They pulled off the covers. Before the woman felt the warmth of the sun, she felt the heat of their scorn. She heard things like, shame on you, pathetic, disgusting. They probably used a number of other adjectives as well, but let's not go into that. She probably had little or no time to cover her body before they marched her through the narrow streets. Now you can imagine, people would have leaned out of their windows to see what the commotion was. Mothers would have snatched their children up off the street so they didn't have to see this. Merchants would have peered out of the doors of their shops. That neighbourhood would have become a jury and it would have rendered its verdict. It would have had arrogant glares, pious contempt and crossed arms. And as if the embarrassment of a bedroom raid was not enough, the men threw her in the middle of a morning Bible class. So there she was. Now the listeners that were listening to Jesus, they would have been stunned by this intrusion. What's going on here? Or, or something like that. Pious accusers would have been on the other side. They would have been hurling their insults. They would have been saying all sorts of nasty things. They all had their questions. They had their convictions. She had whatever she had managed to grab hold of to try and cover herself. And here she was in a heap on the ground. The, uh, the accusers would have been uh, hurling insults. They'd have been describing what they saw and probably a whole heap of embellishments to make it sound worse. They really were displaying hatred and they demanded that Jesus can condone her stoning. The woman had nowhere to go. Could she deny the accusation? No, she was caught. That was fact, that was truth. She was caught. She, could she plead for mercy? Mm, yeah, maybe. Who too? Who was going to save her from this? Could she plead from God? From her viewpoint, God's spokesman was squeezing stones and snarling insults and cursing her. And really, no one would speak for her. The woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Her accusers screamed at Jesus. She was caught in the act in the moment, in the arms, in the passion, caught in the very act by the Jerusalem Council on Decency and Conduct. The law of Moses said, stone her. And they said to Jesus, what do you say? They were using this as a trap. 
They wanted to question Jesus. They were using this, this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, Ben said last week that he would love to know what Jesus wrote. You know what? So would I. But if it was me, I probably would have said something like, where's the bloke? Where's the dude that she was with? Why didn't you bring him out as well? Where's he? Jesus did not stand up. He did not step forward. He did not ascend a stair and speak. He did not do what they were expecting him to do. But what did he do? He leaned over. He stooped down. And he got lower than anybody else. Right down there with the woman who was in a heap on the ground, probably trembling with fear, probably crying her eyes out and wondering whether she was ever going to live again. He stood down, he stooped down beneath the priests, beneath the people. And the accusers would have had to look down at the woman, but they'd have had to look down at Jesus as well. He was down there. Jesus was never, ever afraid to stoop. I've got a little list here. He stooped to wash feet. He stooped to embrace children. He stooped to pull Peter up out of the sea. He stooped to pray in the garden. He stooped before the Roman whipping post. He stooped to carry the cross. He is the God of grace who stoops. And here he stooped to write in the sand. He did not do what the priests wanted him to do. Now maybe Jesus wrote in the soil for his own benefit. Maybe for the woman's. Maybe it was to divert gaping eyes from perving on a scantily clad woman who's just been thrown in the middle of a circle. The priest became impatient. He was silent and he was stooping down and he was writing in the sand. They were not happy, do you think? He lifted himself erect until his shoulders were straight and his head was high. He stood not to preach. And this was probably what they were waiting for. They wanted him to stand up and condemn the woman. But his words were very few and he didn't stand there for very long. He did not talk to his followers. He didn't address them at all. He stood on behalf of the woman and he placed himself between her and the lynch mob. Too far. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. What happened next? Well, the name callers shut the mouths. They stopped talking. He had their attention. The rocks that they were holding were dropped. They fell to the ground. And Jesus stooped back down and resumed scribbling in the sand. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up 
and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, sir. And he said, Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. All of us at some time or other have had to endure the wrath of accusation, of condemnation, of ridicule. You've all heard things like, you aren't good enough, you'll never improve, you failed again. You did this, we've all copped it. These are the voices in the world. These are the voices in our heads. Now, who is this morality keeper who keeps a citation at every stumble? Each time we fall, each time we stumble, each time we make a mistake, who's this guy that keeps a record of it? At various times, we've all been down. But who reminds us of that? Does he ever shut up? Day after day, hour after hour, relentlessly and tirelessly, the accuser makes a career out of accusing. That's very different from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. John 10.10 tells us that the, the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. He comes to steal your peace. He comes to kill your dreams and to destroy your future. And he has deputised a whole horde of silver-tongued demons to help him. And he enlists people to peddle his poison, just like those accusers with the woman caught in adultery. Condemnation is the preferred commodity of Satan and he will repeat the adulterous woman scenario as often as we permit him to do so marching us through the city streets, um, dragging our name through the mud and he pushes us into the centre of the circle and then with a megaphone he broadcasts and tells everybody, including ourselves, our sin. This one was caught in the act of immorality, immorality, stupidity, dishonesty, irresponsibility. But does he have the last word? No. Jesus acts on our behalf. Jesus stooped low enough to sleep in a manger. He worked in a carpentry shop for 18 years. He stooped low enough to sleep in the back of a fishing boat, low enough to rub shoulders with crooks and lepers, low enough to be spat upon, slapped, whipped, nailed and speared, low enough to be buried. He stooped down to be with us. But then he stood upright. He stood up and he got right in Satan's face. Just the same way as he did to the accusers with the woman. And he does the same for us. He stands up, he speaks up and he pours his grace out upon us. Now let's just let that sink in for a moment. In the presence of God... And in defiance of Satan, Jesus Christ rises to our defence and he takes on the role of a priest. Hebrews 10, 21 and 22 says, Since we have a great priest over God's house, let us come near to God with a sincere heart and a sure faith because we have been made free from a guilty conscience. What's he got for us? He's got a clean record, a clean conscience a clean heart, 
free from accusation, free from condemnation, not just for our past mistakes, but for our future ones as well. Satan is left speechless and without ammunition, just like the accusers shut up and drop their rocks. Satan has no choice. He has to shut up and drop his rocks. Now, maybe there are some here this morning who are struggling with guilt, maybe struggling with faith or lack of it. Jesus has stooped to where you are and he's offering to take away your guilt and replace it with grace. What did Jesus say to the woman? He said to her, go and leave your life of sin. Now in today's language, that means something very simple. Stop doing what you're doing and stop listening to the tormentor. It's that simple. We just need to stop listening to the rubbish that he wants to throw at us. James 4, 7 tells us, Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We often think of resisting the devil and he'll flee from us. But there's a bit before that. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Musicians, would you please join me? In a few minutes, I'm going to invite Pastor Ben to join me up here. But just before I do that, nobody needs to face their difficulties alone. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God came to us in the form of Jesus. He came to experience humanity the same as we do. There is nothing that he does not understand about us. And just like as children need adults to nurture them, to get down on the ground with them, to help them through the tough times that seem overwhelming, God nurtures us as adults through what we might think is insurmountable. He got down on the ground with the woman and he'll get down on the ground with you. If you feel that's where you are this morning, how about reaching out? God will stoop down and get on the ground with you. If that's where you are, if that's where you need to be, you can be assured that God will get down there with you. He will get his hands dirty with you. He will look after you. He will replace your guilt with grace. If there are folk here who need a touch from God today, if you feel like you're on the ground, if you feel you'd like God to get down there with you, perhaps you could raise your hand and we'll get those around you to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass anybody and call them out the front or anything like that. But God wants to touch people this morning. I really sense that. God wants to get down on the ground with you if that's where you need him to be. He will get down there, just like if young Max was down here and he fell over and scun his knees. I'm sure Jess would get down there with him. Let's let God get down on the floor with us. Let's let God minister to us. Perhaps anybody that's got their hand up, folk could gather around them and we can pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, 
I just pray that you would touch people where they need to be touched this morning. Lord, that you would get down on the ground with them and minister to them, nurture them, look after them. Thank you, Jesus.